Hello and welcome to our monthly podcast series, In Conversation With. Hello and welcome to the Global Cosmetics News Podcast. Today we'll be talking about diversity and inclusivity. And first, it's my pleasure to introduce our panellists. We have Liha Okiniwa, founder of Liha Beauty. We have Christopher Bannister-Bailey, diversity and inclusion champion at Croda. Erica Fremantle, global beauty strategist and founder of Erica Fremantle Consultancy. And Teresa Yee, senior beauty editor at WGSN. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining us today. So we're here to talk about diversity. And as we know, it's been one of the hottest topics in the beauty industry um, for the last 12 to 18 months. I think it's fair to say that the beauty industry has taken a huge step forward in the last 18 months. It is really starting to embrace diversity. It's also fair to say that there's a long way to go. Let's start there. Where are we now and what challenges do we still face? Um, Let's start with Christopher. Well, I think over the last couple of years, beauty retailers have really started to get on board with thinking about diversity and making sure that diverse uh, people are represented in advertising and in, in their campaigns. Has it gone far enough? I think you have a lot of brands coming in and talking about what they're doing, some of the multinationals more so, and then lots of independent brands that are really embracing diversity from from uh, a root base within their organisations to make sure that they are targeting and tailoring cosmetics and products for consumers of difference. And as an independent leader, that uh, neatly brings us to you. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about product formulation and how you can reflect diversity from that point of view? Um, I guess we kind of take a different stance on it in terms of we're not necessarily pitching to any race in particular or saying but it's kind of by default we're going to be diverse because it's owned by two women of color you know when we do product formulations we try and sort of say you know skin is skin we don't we don't specify this is good for this this is good for that it's like if you've got dry skin this is good if you've got you know and we kind of want to educate people about ingredients from places that they may not know about we want to educate people about shea butter and natural ingredients from africa and in the whole time that we've been going we've literally only ever had maybe two or three people say is it okay for white skins i think we're almost past that phase now of people assuming because it's owned by two black women it must only be for black skins thank you erica oh wow and my perspective is slightly different um having been in the industry for 35 years And being the voice in the industry for 35 years, I felt very lonely for many, many of years. Has it changed in the last 18 months? I don't think so. I think it's about the same. It's just that you've got more people talking about it. But I don't see that many tangible things in place. Yes, there's been a bit of noise around Fenty, what Rihanna and co have done. However, there are other makeup brands that are very comprehensive way before, but they just didn't get their marketing right. Mm. And when you ask, is enough being done? I really don't know what enough looks like. I'm very proud of what you've accomplished. And I think the way you articulate what you do is how other brands should look at themselves and just cater for everyone. Thank you. Um, I'm looking forward to the day where there's equality and, um, yeah, everyone speaks the same language and everyone feels that a product is for them. What annoys me is if a makeup range does, and I, I talk more from a makeup point of view because being a former makeup artist, when they do arrange 
for light, medium and dark skins. Three shades or four shades. There are seven billion people in the world, if not more. And obviously no one brand will be able to cater for everyone. But I think it's about the narrative. I think it's about the tones. I think it's about the language. It's about the feel. It's not just about colour. It's about the feel-good factor. So for me, this has been an ongoing, I don't know if it's argument or debate for a long time, but it's getting better. Will it get better in my lifetime? Depends what better means to you. But I've not seen that much change over 35 years. And let's talk about Fenty and Mm -hmm. um, the point that you brought up that several brands beforehand catered for Mm -hmm. 40 shade ranges Mm -hmm. um, within their range. Lancome and MAC both Mm -hmm. had 40 strong ranges Mm -hmm. before Fenty came along. So are we saying that all of the talk around diversity is talking the talk, but we're not necessarily walking the walk? I mean what about that? How many shades do we need to create? And also, is it a case that we don't want to be a marketing story or we don't want to be a trend? We just want inclusivity to be a fact. For me personally, I think people should be transparent. And if you don't cater for everyone, it doesn't matter. But don't pretend that you do, because people are aware Mm. of the lies and the misquotes. It's very expensive to be able to cater for all skin tones. If you only cater for a certain colouring or a certain tone, then that's fine. But don't pretend, you know, to stick a dark face in and then say you cater for people of colour of a certain tone or certain ethnicity, because we're not silly. You know, you are what you are. Your products will always reflect who you are. You're right. Mac has been around for 21 years. Mm. Um, I remember when they started as a makeup artist, two makeup artists came together and they created this fantastic line. But what, how they did diversity is that they dealt with celebrities. They dealt with artists. They dealt mm. with renowned people. But no one had a voice The difference with Fenty is that it's Rihanna. Everyone knows how controversial she is, how famous she is, and the power of Rihanna. And they used it to their advantage to create this noise. I haven't heard that much more recently. I'm sure they're still out there. But I think that people should be just honest and cater for whom they cater for. Not everyone can cater for everyone, so don't pretend to. But the most important thing is to make people feel inclusive if you do cater for everyone and not everyone will be able to do. I mean, there are 75 different shades of black skins alone. No one brand can cater for that. But you should educate people how to mix their products. Become innovative and don't be afraid to mix, but give people the, the scope and the products to, to, to create those mixes. Mm. Teresa, we've started a thread almost about authenticity. What do you think? How can brands create authenticity around a diversity inclusivity story? I think for marketing, it has to be authentic. It has to speak directly to your consumer and it has to speak to everyone from all ages, race, gender. I guess it also has to feel genuine as well so like you said with the marketing campaigns it's just not who you put in front of the campaign but the products has to deliver as well it has to have the 
amount of shades that will cater for everyone in terms of if it's makeup. So I think that's really important. And yeah, a brand needs to be authentic. They need to be real. And we know this because with the Gen Z consumer, they when they buy products, they are demanding, honest. They want transparency and they want authenticity. And that's going to make them buy the product. So a brand needs to be able to have that value of a person who's they can relate to because we know that in a campaign the face is so powerful but the products also need to deliver as well they need to be authentic through every single you know stage from the marketing through to the the product it's a big ask as we've already said to demand that our multinational brands certainly cater for everyone it's not necessarily possible a lot of brands tend to cater for an individual consumer on a country level so for example l'oreal formulate shampoos for brazil from brazilian hair specifically and to sell in brazil and quite often these ranges translate elsewhere and they can then take them away and they can go global let's talk about that let's talk about innovating for local markets how do we create diversity when we live in a multicultural world um, that's also multinational where a few big companies create the majority of product so if we think about localization especially for global brands for me the the complexity of a global brand sometimes hinders that localization so if you have hub departments, hub uh, labs doing the research or hub marketing departments, you really need to have people on the ground in that country for localization to, to happen, to be able to translate that product into something that's tangible for a consumer in that country. And not just from a marketing point of view, getting the imagery right and the language right, but making sure the product is actually effective for a person in that country. That is difficult. It is complex. But, you know, especially multinational brands that billion dollar corporations that understand complexity, you know, if a company is not looking at how to decomplexify their business, then, you know, what are they trying to achieve? And if you take it to the ingredient side, if you take it back to the formulation, what you notice across different countries and different continents is a lot of similar ingredients or formulations are created because of patents, because it's easy, because of protection, whatever, they can be tailored quite easily for a local market. It just takes a little bit more research to make sure that those products aren't just a lift and shift. Oh, we've created this in France for, uh, for L'Oreal and we're going to move it to Shanghai and it's going to sell in China. Just Just take a step to say, is that formulation right and fit for purpose? Do I need to change? Do I need to look at how I create a different texture or a different sensory appeal for that consumer? Also removing the assumptions and stereotypes that you sometimes get with formulation by saying, oh, this is a popular ingredient in this country, so therefore let's just change the emotive. That feels less authentic and quite disingenuous to a consumer as well. That leads us neatly on to having 
people in the room. So if we're saying that to formulate for local markets, we should have people on the ground, we should also have people on the room. And I think the recent Style Nanda using a, a blacked up hand in, in the advert um, illustrates that quite neatly. I'm fairly sure that there weren't very many people in the room that made that decision. Um, <laughs> Leah, do you want to talk to us a little bit about diversity from a recruitment perspective, mm. about having the right people in the room? I think it's just so, it's so tricky because you need to change the whole mindset and that mindset has been going on for so long. And as Erica said, you know, I'm really lucky to have launched recently, in recent years, where people are way more open to stuff. But actually, there's still so many corridors of power. There's so many glass ceilings, steel ceilings where, you know, it's just very difficult, like you say, to get into the room. And I think rather than looking at kind of quotas or things that we have done before we need to change we need to flip on its head and educate the people that are making those decisions they need to be educated mm -hmm. they need to be looking at why are you othering people because it's not as if you don't need a quota you don't need because i think the problem is with that it kind of can put both people on a back foot to feel oh i shouldn't really be here you know oh somebody might say you know you weren't really as educated, you know, you just got in because of a quota. That's not the case. There's hundreds of thousands of people that deserve to be in that room and that should be in that room in order to have a decent dialogue. But how do you get them there? You need to change the narrative. You need to get those people to literally go deep and figure out why are they othering? Why are they looking at people as if, you know, they're lesser than? And that's that's the tricky thing. How do you do that logistically? Well, Chris, for people open to that. Mm -hmm. being the uh, current expert on diversity and inclusion. Thank you for that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, but, how, how do you? Well, I mean, it is complicated, but exactly what you say, if we can't get into a situation where we, uh, to use your phrase, have people in the room of difference, we have to ensure that every colleague in the in the beauty industry is able to put their assumptions aside that can enter a situation with an open mind and say i am a, a white person and i don't have the best knowledge to talk about person of color's needs so where should i go to get that from well i'm going to have to expand my network or i'm going to have to bring consultation in and use network or use the ability of social media and, and linkedin or whatever to make those connections to build your own knowledge but then another problem occurs, interpreting, interpreting assertion and making assertions based on other people's lived experience. So around the table, we all have our own different lived experiences and we all can articulate those lived experiences. But I will be interpreting your lived experiences as people of colour in a different way because it's not, it's not my lived experience. So I have to know that my bias my unconscious bias may force me or lead me to make a, a judgment or a decision that isn't necessarily right. It might be on the way there, um, but it's not necessarily completely right. That's where it gets really complicated in, in not just in recruitment, but in making sure that all all colleagues within a in a business are able to just say to themselves or say to a team. What are we missing? What haven't we done? How many assumptions or assertions have we made? Is it the right interpretation? Mm -hmm. Let's just take a step to to reaffirm what we know or we or what we don't know. Mm. 
And perhaps we could do that as a beauty industry. What assumptions have we made and what step back do we need to take to start back at the drawing board and think more broadly about this? Oh, a big step back. It's a, a big yeah. step back. <laughs> <laughs> Teresa, what, what do you think? I think we have to go in with an open mindset as well. Mm. Like for me, sometimes I feel like if I'm going to a makeup store, they need to understand your skin tone. And if the sales assistant haven't got that knowledge, they're going to sell you the wrong products. The amount of times I've gone in to a store and they've given me a pink-based concealer when I know that I'm a yellow tone. So I think education or training is really important. So giving them the tools to be able to, you know, sell the correct shade and have that knowledge um, so that when a customer comes in, they'll get the right shade. So, yeah, I think that people just need to have a more open mindset and a little bit more training as well in terms of like if you work in retail, you know, just making sure that you understand the customer's needs better. And let's talk about retail a little bit because ultimately they only have so much shelf space. I think from an industry perspective, we have been working. We're definitely not there yet, but we've been working. But it's almost a stumbling block when you get to the physical store because there's only so much shelf space and our stores seem to be quite fragmented in that they're catering to X consumer or Y consumer, but not X and Y consumer. Mm. On the shelf, there isn't an enormous amount of diversity, I find, when I go into a, a pharmacy drug store. So how can retail attract a bigger audience that's diverse through their product selection. Teresa, do you want to talk to so, us a little bit about that? I think there's still a lot to be done in terms of retail. I mean, there are brands out there who are offering, you know, a vast amount of different shades for, you know, different ethnicities, different ages, you know. But the thing is, I think that one of the things is, like, so Target has introduced eight um, up-and-coming makeup brands into their aisles. So they're trying to serve a more diverse audience. So they've included brands like Coloured Rain. They've got a brand called Violet Floss and Every Hue Beauty as well. So they're trying to, like, cater for a more diverse um, audience with about 150 different products. So there is, it is there, but I think there needs to be more that's done mm. in terms of retail. But obviously space, you know, there isn't that much space, but they still needs to be able to, you know, provide products that include everyone. Erica, what do you think on the retail side? Um, from two aspects, as you were speaking there, I thought of one, have staff that reflect the world. That's one thing in my mind. And the other thing is if you want to include people and cater for that inclusion, have people that create an experience in that market. People who already know how to develop for that skin type as opposed to guesstimating. Um, I'm not saying that's what they do, but I think if there was a lot more inclusion and bring on board people that know about different skin tones, that lived it. One of the things that I spoke about this morning in a discussion is that there is also prejudice within our own communities as black people. So it's understanding different cultures, understanding the narrative, understanding the different tones, the different textures. The undertones are very important when it comes to foundations, lipsticks and eyeshadows. One green eyeshadow can't cater for everyone. So as you said, your yellow undertone, um, I'm orange undertone and your slightly yellow blue 
but that comes from training. So I think retail needs to go back to training. And once you train everybody, mm. it will be a lot different. Everyone will be so much more confident. The customer will be confident and the, the seller will be very confident. And I don't think there's anything greater than having a confident salesperson who knows what they're doing. So mm. it goes back to um, training. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I also think that you, diversity doesn't have to just come from marketing and the product itself. It has to filter through the whole of the the company mm. so Fully starting holistic. right yeah starting right from the product who like the product developer yes. someone who yes. creates the product in the lab so they can understand the yes. skin tone and create an inclusive product and then the production they need to understand that and then the marketing people mm. so it has to filter through like diversity has to filter through the whole kind of chain mm. of a company like the whole board yeah i think as well what you were saying about transparency earlier just don't patronise customers. It's 2018. You know, they know a lot. They read the back of bottles and everything. And the thing is, I think what a lot of these big brands need to understand is, you know, one social media scandal can damage you for so long. Like, don't do things that you thought you could do 20 years ago because you can't do it anymore, mm. especially in terms of skincare. I mean, I know makeup is great and it's becoming a lot more diverse, but within skincare, it's still very much, let's just repackage this in a brown packet or something you know mm. and I know there was a big brand that did that a couple of years ago and got called out on social media because it was just like you've put the same thing you can't and it's the same thing about knowing that local market mm. and just yeah just don't talk down to customers basically I think that yeah which uh, I mean P&G's Brent Miller said it's about more than showing up with a rainbow bottle for a month he was obviously talking mm. about um, P&G's work on LGBT mm -hmm. um, so that's coming back to the authenticity. Companies need to prove their commitment to us right. mm. from the ground up. Mm. We need to not see the marketing headline, but to see that they've done something, that they've got the people in the room and that they've created the products for everybody and then told us about them. Is that is that what we're saying? I think it goes deeper. And, and your your example there for, for um, Pride in the Rainbow Bottles is, is interesting and Similarly, for lots of different diversity, we could talk about tokenism. And it's wonderful to put in, in marketing a, a day or a week or a month or one campaign that focuses on a person of difference, but to then have the rest of the year showcasing the same old uh, campaigns, that goes to dis making people feel... Just, uh, that the brand isn't being fully open or fully connecting with its broad base. I think exactly what you were saying, Teresa, about it has to be across everything. I think even in the way that products are put out, even if it feels right to celebrate something, realise that you're only celebrating it for, for one thing and know that that isn't right. And look to places within your brand, within your brand outputs, within your retail that can really truly help a person of difference immerse themselves. We were talking about retailers, about space, about how it's absolutely impossible yeah. for a brand itself to cater for absolutely everybody. Um, we're just creating more and more skin tones as we get more and more multicultural society. Is the answer bespoke? Is that the way that we're going? Um, yes and no. I Do you know, I'm going to... I'm going to say that using the excuse that there isn't enough space is a barrier for inclusion in retail. 
If we really want to innovate, we will look at ways to use that space more effectively to create customization within the retail experience. You know, shops are done. Cookie cutter, here's a shop, here's another shop, they're all the same. You'll have a certain retail staff portfolio and they will have an education level to on, on beauty products or how to use them, whether that's a really great experience level or, 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 or low experience level. But then what you have to look at is, is that retail space open? If I'm disabled and can't get around easily within that store, but I want to shop when it's busy, am I going to have a bad experience? That's an exclusion point for somebody that isn't mobile. How do I help that person get into the store and feel and get the same immersion uh, of experience? If I'm a person of colour and I know, possibly from past experience, that a store is not likely to to stop my shade or I'm going to have a bad experience because the shop assistant is going to give me the wrong base tone. Well, why use the excuse that, well, we don't run stock of that? Have tester pots in the back of every single one. Yeah, okay, you might not be able to, to buy it right there and then if you don't have the stock, but have the test there to at least say to somebody, let's try, let's have a look, and then order it online or order it in and send a personal service. That's that's also part of the customization retail experience saying, you know, we, we do cater for everybody. We can't stock everybody, but we, we cater for everybody. And also looking at different consumer types, maybe men, I, I know I was talking this morning about if you're a single male parent and you have a daughter, that beauty experience for you is probably going to be really alienating. And even stepping into that space and being judged could be, you know, you might not want to do it, but it's a connection point that you're going to lose with your your daughter growing up and, and she will have to learn in different ways and it creates stigma. So how do you make that experience more welcoming? Or if you're um, a Muslim consumer and you wear the niqab or the hijab or the burqa and you want a private space and it's not there or it's a broom cupboard at the back of the room, come on, there's plenty of opportunity. There's plenty of high street stores that, you know, are closed take the space, create that customization in retail and customers will see it as authentic and that you're trying. And there we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I well agree. Done. I mean, <laughs> Theresa, you, you were saying about Gen Z and I think it's interesting that with the advent of online shopping, physical stores need to change. And Absolutely. what I would say is perhaps they're becoming irrelevant, but they can make themselves relevant by not attempting to stock very many products. After all, it's not necessarily about walking out there with the shopping bag. Mm. It might just be that they've got an online terminal and they send it to your house. So would you like to talk a little bit about the future of retail, how that stores are going to change? Absolutely. So in terms of retail, it's becoming more of an interactive experiential space. So consumers will go in, test out products, almost have like a showroom. So the products don't have to be there. Like you have like you'll have testers, like you said, that you can test all the colours and then you can make the purchase either you know, they're on the spot or if you don't want to make that purchase, you can, you've tested the colour and you can go back and buy it online. So I think that retail spaces need to be this kind of like a playground for them to experience the products, um, to interact with it, to feel it, because you can't do that online. And then 
I think you'll go online to buy it. Or you can buy it on the store as well, but if you don't want to, then I think that the future is that this might be a bit out there, but you could like order it and then it could be sent to your house straight away so you get the product. I think the stores will be very interactive just to drive the consumer to the stores to experience the products, it's about discoveries, about play, and then, you know, buying it online. What I also love about the future of retail was, um, is also about the digital experience, but digitalization into personalization. So say you've picked a foundation and you find, as Erica um, noted earlier, the right undertones for your skin and you're, you're looking for a green eyeshadow, but you know that that one's not going to work. Through a personalization experience, if the retailer knows what your undertones are, they know that you've picked the right shade because of the experience in store and, and it's all documented. If it goes right back down the chain to the product formulator to understand how to create an eyeshadow or a color for different undertones of skin, you then bring that experience to the forefront and start to push those products to those people who have you know, the, a, a different undertone of skin. So they're also getting that personalization experience. And before they even come to store, you're essentially telling them, we've formulated this with your skin tone in mind. And it might not be perfectly right. It might not be right. But come in and see it. Come in and try it. We've got a tester waiting for you. That's a great personalization, digital experience. That Nice. Yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I say that as well, because yeah, like you, you do you go in the store and then you might pick a shade and try it on, but it just it's not right and mm. you don't have any other offerings. So to have a something that's so personalized to you, I think consumers want that. Something that's like made for you, it feels mm. a bit more exclusive, doesn't it? As yeah, well. Yeah. So and ultimately I think that the true measure of inclusivity and diversity is whether you feel included. Mm -hmm. I think we've got to take it from that personal perspective it's not whether you've got a great splash campaign mm. um it, it's how you feel on a personal note do you feel the beauty industry caters for you Leah? uh maybe now more so definitely definitely more so than when i was like 15 i had to go to like my local boots obviously i'm not from london and it was the awful you know light medium dark and you're there trying to get the dark one and ashy all the time there wasn't even internet then so I couldn't even you know and for me it's amazing to see you know my daughter's 14 and for her to see something like Fenty Beauty happen it's amazing it's great and for her to be able to go online and you know see all these YouTubers that look like her or you know that's great so I do think it has come on leaps and bounds and I would say it definitely includes me a lot more than it did but I do find it a bit annoying when we were talking about tokenism before you know and you're saying just be authentic I don't like it when a brand is kind of like oh and there's this person to, to try and you know make me feel included when mm. I know that really that's not somewhere that I maybe would would shop how about you Erica I'd like to go the other way because I'm quite controversial mm -hmm. um I think people of color should stand up and be counted and not be reliant on mainstream. I think we have a brain, we know our needs. Why don't we come together more and create our own products mm -hmm. to put in the mainstream mm. space and stop blaming mainstream? Because we are, after all, we are the ones that are wearing yeah. it. We are the ones that know what we want, like yourself. But wouldn't you say that we're doing that more so than, mm. than We are, before. but I'm talking at really high-end level. We're yeah. more than capable of doing it, yeah. even if we come together as, yeah. a, as a, a collective. But we are, but not enough. 
not yeah, enough no, for I your agree. daughter to be able to walk into a store and say it is black owned or Asian owned. And if it is, it's very in the outskirts. It's not, I'm talking about coming together yeah. as a huge community and create our own and mm. stop relying on other people to give us our own needs. And I think that's where we go wrong as a community. I think we just sit back and wait and then we complain that they're not doing it right. And we're more than capable of doing it ourselves. I would say that one of the most encouraging signs for me, we can all look at a marketing campaign and think, yeah, 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 mm -hmm. um, is seeing some amazing Black-owned businesses succeed yes. and in the big time as well. I mean, you look at Mented, who became the 15th yes. and 16th African-American women to raise a million dollars mm -hmm. in venture capital. Or we look at Pat McGrath Labs, which is now valued as a billion dollar oh, yeah. brand. Why it's... was she not on Forbes, please? <laughs> Sorry to be controversial. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, maybe she didn't want to. If you know Pat, she's quite a person that sits back. Oh, she just okay. gets it done. She okay. stays in her lane yeah. and she makes her money. So not everybody feel that they need to get that recognition to be informed. I get it. But, you know, when it's like, anyway, I don't want to bring it up because I know it's like the the standard thing, you know, that everyone's talking about at the moment. But just actually put a real self-made person there if that's... Well, in Forbes. Or in yeah, general. Yeah. She means not Kylie. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. 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 All right. Well, I think it's what's interesting about the Pat McGrath kind of success as well. And exactly what you say. She's She's been around for ages. Mm, 36 years. I mean, okay. she's been behind the British fashion industry, the global fashion industry mm -hmm. for so long. Her and Edward... Um, Edward yeah, yeah ID magazine. That's I mean, right. and I was I had, there too. I had, yeah, yeah. I, was there. <laughs> I had that Bjork cover that she did yeah. on my wall, like throughout my whole teenage years. I mean, it's amazing <laughs> that creates authenticity for a makeup artist, mm. but also when you have conversations about Pat, it's like, well, where's she come from? Yeah. Well, she's been around than God. And if, if you've been following fashion, you'll know all mm. of the stuff that she's done to innovate for, throughout her her life, and also the fact that she was creative director at um, CoverGirl, and That's I right. think she still is. And, you know, she's behind that brand. She's behind... Giorgio Armani. Yeah. She developed... Exactly. Yeah. And uh, another... PNG. PNG, yeah. yeah. So, you know, she's there and she's doing it. And now she's got her own brand and it's amazing. And it caters for everyone. Yes. It's and crazy. it's authentic in that you know that her ideas and her information and knowledge is poured into it. It's when you look at even her webpage and it's full of all of her ID covers. I'm, I've got a very passion for ID at the moment because I forced my husband to sell off all of his copies because <laughs> um, they were taking up a lot of space in the house. Anyway, um, but you know when it's there and you're like, yeah, saw it. And, it, and you know how that's impacted the beauty industry. Mm. It's more so, and I love that. But thinking about independent brands over MNCs, you're obviously right, Erica, you're always right. Um, <laughs> but when you have these independent brands coming through and saying, we're we want to create something for everyone or something for, for difference, what I don't like is when the marketplace doesn't allow for that space to happen, mm -hmm. for that brand to succeed because it's so saturated mm -hmm. or because it's so swallowed up by advertising from the corporate block, which they're perfectly entitled to do. But I often feel for those brands that just don't get the traction, mm. they're doing the right things, but they, they're reliant on social media and, and because that's that's a place where you can get free advertising, as I call it, but, you know, free global advertising. Even if you do get the traction, you know, as a small, tiny, independent business and you're trying to make this noise, whatever, I've seen brands get swallowed up literally. You know, mm. they could be doing something, get featured on a trend report, 
no offense at all to trend reports because they can be amazing. But, you know, a company with bazillions is just going to go, oh, this is kind of cool. We'll just do that quickly, you know, mm. and then that company is, is gone. And that's just the nature of the beast, really. It's the nature of the Business. internet and how quickly everything moves. Mm. But that's super important. And that's something that is quite hard to... Um, and I think if we talk back about feeling included, I feel where that, if you take it to a corporate level, inclusivity, empowering young startup businesses mm. to actually be successful in a marketplace without swallowing them up is a very different way of thinking about, um, you know, shareholder value and buying companies. But Fenty Beauty, okay, that's LVMH, but it's mm. through their can-do offshoot incubator. Mm -hmm. That's great. There's also Mark Jacobs in there and there's also um, Bite Lips. That's wonderful. All of those companies have a lot of exposure because of who's at the helm of them. But those incubator companies from big brands like LVMH, they do a lot of stuff for young fashion designers. Why not do it in the beauty industry and say, well, we've got this really great beauty expert who's coming through. We're going to sponsor them and we're going to push them through and we're not going to take their space, you know, but we're going to support them, build their brand because that's an important thing to do. I think that's an interesting take. What do you think, Neha, if somebody approached you? Yes, please. <laughs> please do it. We're raising capital right now. So yes, please. That would be amazing. Um, but there are some amazing things out there. There's a, a lot of them are based also in America. There's one called uh, Backstage Capital, which is set up by this woman called Arlen, and it's phenomenal. It mm -hmm. only focuses on young, well, not necessarily young, but, you know, startups that are minority-owned, LGBT, mm -hmm. queer-owned as well, like all sorts mm -hmm. of different diverse things that people wouldn't normally get. And she actually came from being homeless to starting her own wow. venture capital fund. So it's just an amazing thing. But there can always be way, way more. I mean, yes. literally, we've been looking for incubators. We've been looking really? for... Yeah, literally at the moment, because investment's a whole new thing. We didn't even think we would necessarily... You know, things have happened quite quickly for us. So we've had to kind of look into it and just be like, oh, and yeah, starting to look into it, you're like, oh, there's not as much out there as you would you would hope for, really. Yeah. But then it's fine just to find a different way around it. <laughs> and who do we think is nailing it? Teresa, over to you. Which brands do you think really hit the nail on the head or are actually inclusive and diverse? I think for me, like Fenty definitely, I think that they have an extensive range, like 40 foundations that cater for everyone, but they're doing it in a more authentic way. For instance, they had their campaign. So their marketing campaign included women of all colours, of all ages, different shapes and bodies. So I think that I think that their Fenty's doing really, really well. Um, Pat McGrath lab I think and also you know she's someone that everyone's looking up to she's like a female leader almost because you aspire to be like her and she's kind of empowering like women that you can actually create your own brand so I think that's really inspiring so yeah yeah Fenty and definitely Pat McGrath who are doing really well Glossier as well I think um, Emily Weiss she's also um, a great female entrepreneur that people are looking mm -hmm. up to she's has a very authentic approach as well and I think she creates a community spirit as well with her brand like using Instagram and including different people in the process of 
creating her products, like her first product, the Milky Cleanser, but also embracing and including diverse people in her campaigns as well. Like, for instance, her new body line that she's launched. It's very inclusive. So I think that's really great to see in our industry. Erica, what do you think? Who's who's succeeding? I'm going to go back to a brand that I think... Well, I know they've been around for a long time and I think they've stayed in their lane and they've kept it right and they cater for everyone. And that is simply simple. Simple, the skincare from cleansers, toners, moisturiser, I've been using on my clients for maybe 30 odd years. And most makeup artists that I know have it in their box. And I'm talking from a makeup Mm. artist perspective because it caters for everyone and it does simply what it says. It's simple and, and 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 it removes the makeup and it goes straight into the pores and removes the makeup. So for me, I'm going to stick by simple as a skincare brand that's accessible, affordable, available to everyone. And I haven't got any shares in the company <laughs> at all. <laughs> Interesting. Christopher? For me, it's about a company's ability to to be relevant now and to continue to generate a change that keeps them relevant. So I'm going to give some examples outside the beauty industry. Um, I'm really invested in what Nike's doing now, Nike, with their campaigns and what they're doing and how they've made sportswear accessible and authentic for all. It's really interesting. And how some of the you know higher end fashion labels like Gucci are really trying to mm-hmm. make sure that everybody feels included in luxury fashion. Their latest collection is like New York Street eighties. It's amazing bomber jackets, and the main models in there are all black men. <laughs> and Leha, who do you think is getting it right? Um, Apart from yourself. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, I would look to probably some just some smaller random brands online. I think it just. Well, they're not that random, but there's a brand called Sans that I really like, Sansuticals, um, and they're all natural and and organic. And I just like, again, they, they're they very diverse, but without in like a preachy way. They just show it as it is. And I would say as well, I think what you said, Christopher, is about those bigger brands having to diversify, especially with the way the internet is. The thing is, the internet is diverse by default it's embedded you know black culture is embedded within the internet the vernacular of the internet is so i think now is a great time because it's not going to be about diversity coming in and out of vogue it's going to have to be here to stay because the internet is like that so they're going to everyone else is going to have to adapt to that diversity so yeah interesting i i guess ultimately the true test of whether we're going to be diverse or inclusive in industry is if we all without sounding too blithe about it, shut up about it. Basically, yeah. silent inclusivity <laughs> is the true test. It's, it's when we no longer have to shout about it mm-hmm. and it's not a marketing exactly. story. What do you think? Do you, How long, if we came back here in 10 years' time, do you think that we'd have reached that point or do you think we've still got a long way to go? I hope so. I hope so. I'm ridiculously optimistic, but... Good. Because <laughs> <laughs> we have, we have so. to be. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I think the internet, I think it's good because it's a driving force and right. it's forcing people to look at things. Look at like what happened with Virgil being appointed over there. Right, like, right. Those old consumers don't exist anymore. Mm. They literally are dying out. So you're going <laughs> to... Not to sound in a horrible way, not at all. But, you know, you're gonna, you have to adapt. You have to move with the times and serve what's coming up. And that is, by nature, just diverse. So I think, yeah, I would say 10 years, hopefully. 
Christmas. Maybe even sooner. I think 10 years is a good timeline. Um, I would agree with that. I, f- I feel like there are some brands that are already relevant and they're, they're not being silent about diversity in that essence, but it is part of their brand ethic, their brand value, and it just keeps moving forward. What needs to start happening is those companies that see diversity as difference, difference from the norm within campaigns, they need to just realise that 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 is the wrong approach and it will take them longer than 10 years to establish themselves as relevant in the marketplace. So just get on and do it. Erica? I I believe, yes, within 10 years, definitely, we will see massive changes. It's got to start. And I think, as you quite rightly said, in the last two years, there's been footprints left in the sand Mm. and there's been a lot of people that look like me and look like yourself, Teresa, um, look like yourself, that are decision makers as well. So I, I, I believe, yes, eight to ten years, there'll be a massive explosion and there'll be a huge change. Yeah, I definitely agree as well. I think about ten years, like, for instance, when I was a teenager, I used to, like, read all the magazines. And my parents are from Hong Kong, but I was born in London. And reading all the magazines, there was never anyone who looked like me. They were all mm. Caucasian, so you can't relate to it. But now it has changed a lot. And I think you're right, the leaders have to kind of embrace this change and make these positive um, movements towards catering for everyone and it has to be embedded throughout the organization so I think that's really important I'm loving the optimism in the room yes Um, (laughs) it's taken a long time for gender equality to even inch towards that kind of thing but I I think but I I think you're right Leah I think the internet is changing that because we're all basically curating our own magazines now on Instagram Mm. so we can choose the diversity that we see I love following people from everywhere I think it makes it fascinating um to be on instagram that's what it's all about and so i think that everyone else needs to catch up and certainly the media will need to catch up to that if it wants to continue because ultimately we're now all sort of in charge of our own destiny we can consume what we want to consume and by us pushing that button we will make it happen yeah definitely okay well thank you to my guests for joining us